Welcome to this week's session of Pricked the Interviews. My name is Kim Brown Sims, and as a nurse of over three decades, I've always said that I've pricked many, many people, and it was always for their own good. Pricked is an interview series that touches on those situations that cause us to react. Positive, negative, inspired, angered. Energy is created, and through telling the stories of what has pricked us in our lives, we gain insight to the common bonds in humanity. Great and powerful action can result from even the littlest prick. Join me now as we jump into another incredible story about being pricked. Beeping machines, the constant hum of voices heard, stark white walls, the acrid smell of bleach and cleaning product distinct to hospitals permeating the air. People running about in lab coats and scrubs, some colors the same, some different. No one person's role evident by what they wore. Environmental services, doctors, nurses, radiologic technicians, phlebotomists, indiscernible. Really not mattering at all. Really not mattering at all. On the gurney, in the ill-fitting and exposing patient gown, wires everywhere, medicinal product wrappers laying about, the scratchy white sheets and blankets bunched around the small frame, lying still, waiting, waiting for what was to come. Not the first time, but perhaps the last. How were we to know? What was for sure was that the end was near, the end of this life held so dear, so close so fleeting. Every moment now precious, every breath grateful, every word and smile valued more than an ocean of pearls. Welcome to this week's Pricked. My name is Kim Brown Sims and the title of today's show is Medicine Music, Finding Center One Note at a Time. It's a joy to invite into the studio today the inspiring and peaceful Christopher Booth. Christopher is the founder of Awaken Music Productions and the by Christopher YouTube channel. He is a pianist extraordinaire, composer, and mental health advocate who through music is creating awareness about the importance of mental health and the role music plays in facilitating mental wellness in self and others. I believe the universe brings together spirits meant to support a common cause. Somehow, I stumbled onto Christopher's music and knew that his message of peace, calm, and centering during this time of chaos and uncertainty was one to be shared. Music as the medicine, helping the world find its center, one note at a time. Welcome to the show, Christopher, and thank you for sharing your incredible gift with us today. So I'm super, super thrilled to have Christopher Booth with me here today. And he is an incredible musician, pianist. Do you play other instruments, Chris? Nope, I play the piano. That is what I do. I've I've dabbled with guitar, but I I always run back to the piano. (laughs) (laughs) And the piano is a beautiful thing. It's on my bucket list to learn. I I play guitar a little bit, (laughs) not really, but um, I've always said I wanted to learn how to play piano. So one of these days, maybe I'll take lessons from you at some juncture. There you go. It'd have to be over Zoom, though. I think that's how we're all doing it these days. (laughs) And that's perfectly fine. It works just fine for me. So why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Give us a little bit of your background. Yes, my name's Christopher Booth. I am the owner and songwriter for the By Christopher YouTube channel. I started that brand over three years ago now. Uh, 
mainly as a concept for friends and family to write calm, relaxing music that has uplifts the spirit and just kind of puts you in a good mood for to start your day or if it's something that you're you're going to end your day with. So whatever whatever suits you. But my background obviously is music. I, I started when I was young, uh, seven years old. My mom got me into it. My grandfather encouraged the classical training and the studying and was just my biggest fan growing up. And I uh, studied all the way through college. I went into college with, with music education and came out of college with a, um, a strong desire to teach. Uh, I obviously liked writing music and I would write music as a young boy for my mom who, who suffered with depression and had different mental health challenges. But she would always tell me how much my music calmed her down and really encouraged me not just to write for her and for me, but for other people as well. So I, I, I wrote an album in 20, 2001 and that was a, that was an album called Journeys and that is on the YouTube channel. But it is a, it was an album that was written around the time of 9-11 when 9-11 happened in our country. And that was a unique release for myself when I did that because I, I put out the CD and local media had caught on to the fact that my music had calming properties to it and was really easy to listen to. And they were able to tie in kind of a story with 9-11. So that was a very fortuitous for me as far as getting exposure, but it really led to some really neat collaborations and people that I met along the way as far as getting my music career started. So that's really kind of how it all got brought together, and at least with the songwriting aspect of my life. And, you know, I've been off and on writing since then. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of time that has gone between 2001, where we are today, 20 years. And I just recently released my last, my second album, which is A Reflection of Time. And that, that just got released in January. So I have a track record of releasing an album every 20 years. So we'll all be looking forward to 2040. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. And what a what a beautiful story, though, because it seems like the universe opens up and provides a path based off of a need, right? So mm -hmm. you produce this beautiful music that is so calming to the soul, to the spirit, and you were inspired by tragedy, which a lot of musicians, poets, artists, right? They're inspired mm. by tragedy. So, you know, putting this album out, maybe there was some preconceived notion, and I'll go right back to the universe and the universe that your music was going to be needed. Hence, you release this music and we have this tragedy. And, and then that music gets tapped into you to help people. I really just, that whole concept is um, pretty amazing. If you have that kind of spiritual side to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally um, just, I am right now trusting in the universe to kind of guide, guide my music to where it's needed most. And so far, that's been working out really well. But I will, I will be selfish and, and say that, that I wrote this album or this, I started writing three years ago. For me, it was a personal thing. It was something that I needed to heal. I had my, my mom had passed away from brain cancer in 2012. And as close as I was to her and connected so much of my music and the, and the why, the why I wrote music to her. Um, it was a very difficult time for me to go through when she passed. And so I let music kind of slip by the wayside for about five years and didn't touch it, didn't, didn't write, didn't play. And in 2017, 
kind of started to come around and was like, you know, I think I'm ready to to look at this again and see what what I can do, what good I can do. But you know, as most people know, you first have you have to be in a good place yourself to be able to impact others positively. So that that took some time, and that's where the concept of the by Christopher Brand started was my healing from within, and you know, once I started the brand and once I got it going, people kept asking for more and say, Hey, write more music, do more music. Well, (laughs) it's easy to ask for more, but then you have to be able to find the inspiration from within yourself to be able to do that. And what better, what better form of inspiration than to find out that you and your partner are having, going to be having a baby. So there you go. I mean, there's, again, that's the universe, like you mentioned, you know, responding to you in a positive and very clear way. And that was when I started two years ago writing the Reflection of Time album. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot has happened in the last two years, mainly, I, you know, COVID. We all know about that. But um, it took my initial plans of what I was going to do with my songs and how I was going to put them out into the local community. And it really blew it up for me. I mean, it took it, everything went online. So I had to go online. I had to figure out how was I going to make this really work, bringing it to people who you couldn't see face to face. So um, it, it was fortuitous in, in, in that way, you know, but it's it, the response that I've gotten from it has fueled me going forward and has kept me writing and has kept me doing new projects. So that's that's exciting for me. You know, there's so there's several concepts that come out of that uh, that you just said, and we'll circle back to your actual prick story because it could be several of those things that you talk about. Because you know, pricked isn't always a negative. Although I think initially people are like, "What do you mean pricked?" You know, I had somebody do something to me, but it could be positive too. You know, you and your partner having a child, finding out that you were expecting is an amazing prick, and. It's one, again, that inspires energy, which is what the Pricked Movement is all about. It's about creating connection through humanity of the fact that we all have these experiences in our lives and they bring us closer together more than tear us apart. And if we can learn, we share our stories and we can learn from one another, you know, we're just creating that fabric that um, creates a beautiful tapestry. And Really, that's what it's all about is finding our commonalities and sharing our inspiration, our stories, our successes and our woes, because sometimes you need to hear that someone else is in the exact same place you are so that you have that sense of validation and and the ability to move forward. So one thing that you were saying just a moment ago is that you have to be able to heal from within. You have to be in a good place in, in order to help others. And that's really kind of the basic basis and the tenets of self-care, which right now, because of the pandemic, is so incredibly important because we are all feeling the lasting, ongoing and lasting effects of the pandemic, stress, trauma, stress. People are losing their jobs. There's financial insecurity. There's housing insecurity. There's food insecurity. There's you know, life, death, insecurity, right? You just don't know if you walk out the door, are you going to be exposed to someone who has COVID and potentially become ill or bring them, bring the virus home and have a partner or a a loved one, you know, whomever gets sick because you've been exposed and you're more resilient than they are. So when it comes to self-healing, you know, talk to me about 
kind of what you did to get yourself back in that place where you were you were able to create this beautiful music to share for others. Well, that's yeah. I mean, that's um, I first had to come to terms with thinking that I think you get trapped in the mindset of healing versus cured. I think there's a there's people confuse the two. And I'll be the first to say that I confuse the two and thinking that I'm going to get over losing someone in my life and I won't feel bad about that anymore. And I had to learn, no, it's how you deal with that loss over time and how you're able to navigate those emotions and those feelings. Because I realize I miss my mom every single day. I think about her every single day. But I'm still able to raise a family. I'm still able to write my music. I'm still able to have a healthy lifestyle. But there are days when it's harder than others. And especially around the time when I lost her and those anniversaries come up and you remember her. And I think one of the things that's important for people to remember that are also dealing with that kind of pain is that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to allow yourself to have those days where, hey, I'm not feeling 100% today. That's fine. And acknowledge that. And that is something that I've learned how to do. I'm not perfect at it, you know, but I think that, that you no know, having those shared experiences with others and having these conversations with other people, letting people know they're, you're not the only one that can feel this way or has felt this way. There's people that are worse off. There's people that are better off, but that's okay. You're, you have your feelings, you have your emotions, and that's completely valid. And so, um, you know, with, with, Tying it into the music, I think that is something that everybody experiences differently. Everybody experiences music differently. Every, certain songs make people sad, happy, and it can be the same song. But it's what it can do for you and allowing you to express those feelings in a healthy and face-to-face -face way that I think is um, something that music can do that not a lot of other modalities can I think you're right on the money. And I'm just going to reiterate a couple points that you made acknowledging, especially right now, I actually do a lot of training with businesses um, on the awareness of the impact of this prolonged trauma on your workforce. And acknowledgement is number one, it's key. We are all in a place of stress, of ongoing uncertainty. And I acknowledge, we as an organization acknowledge and to yourself, self, I acknowledge that this is a daily struggle. It's exhausting. And I need to be kind to myself. What I say when I'm doing training is that you may be 150% performer. And right now, 50% may be all you're able to give. And th that's your best. And we need to acknowledge that we understand where you are in this moment. And be kind to yourself, do what it takes to practice self-care so that you can regain some of that resiliency. It's okay to not be okay. So I just wanted to re-emphasize some of those points that you made because they are so poignant and so relevant to the situation that we're experiencing um, throughout the world, actually, in this moment. So Yeah, good stuff, beautiful. yeah. Yeah. So do you want to, you want to go back and kind of give more of the details around your pricked story? How have you been pricked and, and what did you do with that energy that came from being pricked? Because energy results, good, bad, or indifferent. 
Um, well, I can go, I mean, we can go back. I mean, I can go back to childhood or I can start if you want to go to where I was when I lost my mom and how that, you know, rocked my world, you know, because there was beginning of 2012, she came to me and told me of her diagnosis. And at the time, you know, we thought, well, at least for me, I, I was in denial about the fact that, that that could possibly happen. She was 59 years old, 58 when she got diagnosed. and. Uh, there's no way. I mean, this is, she suffered with migraines growing up. So I was like, you're sure it's not something to do with migraines because her headaches were getting really bad. No, this is, that was, it was cancer. And, you know, she, she came, I remember, I remember the day she came to me and told me that she wasn't going to make it. This is, this is, that was terminal. And I, I basically just wanted to detach, you know, because I didn't know how to process that. And I don't think anyone does know how to process information like that. And that was a moment in my life I'll never forget. And then, you know, having the time we had with her, you know, while she was while she was um, still around, um, that was very difficult. It's very difficult to face that and to, to think this can't possibly happen because she'd have good days and she'd have bad days. And in good days, she'd be like, oh, she's, she's fine, you know, See, she's getting around, but... You know, there is there is a lot of um, you know a lot of hurt when when we lost her, and a lot of a lot of just that tie in with the music was so so important to me because as a child she was my you know my biggest critic and my best supporter as far as encouragement, and you know she was the one that went to shows with me growing up and would sell my CD out on the uh, you know outside when I was playing live and doing things like that, and it was. It just everything about my music was connected to her. She was she sat there at my piano lessons right next to me, you know, and watched and took notes too and made sure that, you know, when I went home I was practicing exactly how the teacher had told me. And even if I didn't remember. So there was that all these different little memories that I have of that. And when you lose someone like that that you attach music so closely to, you don't want anything to do with music, at least for me. I didn't. And you know, when I finally decided to open, let's call it Pandora's box again and peek inside, I didn't know exactly what I was going to see, find, or hear from within. And that was a scary time for me, just being, you know, opening that up and getting in touch with my musical side again. And I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to bring a focus to mental health because of my mom and because of family that I knew growing up that, that suffered with, with depression and anxiety and things. So I knew I wanted to make that connection, but how I was going to do it was first, I needed to be able to come to terms with, you know, the, the loss and the feelings I had and be able to channel that through music. And I wasn't perfect at it, but it was it was doing it. It was getting started. It was it was playing. It was sitting down. It was just letting go. Playing playing things that didn't even make sense musically. Just letting my fingers run over the keys and get that feel back and have the th- songs start running through my head again. Going out to nature. Going on walks. I love hiking. I love being out in contact with with you know solitude and that kind of thing. It brings peace to me. Being able to hear things, melodies running through my head. Those were things that I was doing for me and before I ever thought about writing for someone else. And then once I was able to feel comfortable enough to where I could sit down and, and begin to formulate a song 
I knew that I wanted to dedicate a song to mental health awareness. I wrote a song and it's still on my channel. It's called A Flame Within. And it basically is a representation of, of that. Everybody has a fire within them. And some of those fires are smaller. Some of those fires are bigger. And for those that have lost their light or their light's about to go out, I wanted to be able to bring light into that person's life through music because it had done that for me. And I think that was a very appropriate song to get back into uh, writing with. And, um, you know, I continue to write today and the songs I write hopefully continue that flame and that the idea and message behind that song. Absolutely beautiful. So the imagery that comes to mind, again, your artistry is apparent even just in the way that you speak, the idea of bringing light into someone whose light may be starting to dim. You know, that energy that comes of the fueling the flame, fueling the fire, I think that's absolutely beautiful. And also the idea that dedicating a song to mental health awareness, uh, you know, to those who are experiencing challenges with mental health really allows not only you to, as you stated, heal, but to create kind of this pathway for people to understand, one, it's not taboo to talk about mental health. And there are lots of mechanisms, lots of um, therapies, if you will, that will allow a person to open up, allow a person to acknowledge within themselves, hey, I'm struggling, allow a person to say, this is something I can do for myself, whether it just be sitting and listening to music or like you were doing, writing it to help you heal and then being able to open the floodgates and move forward. And and I also know that there is a, a absolute real struggle around opening yourself up, being vulnerable, right? So you close things down. A lot of people will cut themselves off from doing things that they love because the memories are too painful. And once you start reopening the door, taking the Band-Aid off, if you will, you're fearful of the blood flowing. You're fearful of the pain that you'll experience from taking the Band-Aid off, but also reopening that wound. And the, you know, the good thing is the emotion comes back. The bad thing is the emotion comes back, right? Because you have to start dealing with it. You have to, uh, again, acknowledge that it exists and deal with all of those feelings of loss that you experience when the person is no longer right in front of you. I, I had actually a, a similar situation when my dad passed away. We used to always listen to country music together. Don Williams was one that was one of his favorites, Tennessee, Ernie Ford, some of the older, you know, country yeah, music folks. Yeah. And uh, while he was sick, we listened to a lot of Don Williams together in the hospital room. And once he passed, I played it for a little while and then I couldn't play it anymore. And it's been almost three years since I lost my dad. And I still cringe just a little bit at putting that specific music back on. Like I'll play music that he and my mom loved. I have records and I'll put them on and, you know, it'll make me think of them and it'll be uh, good memories. But for some reason, that, that specific music with my dad just, you know, it just brings all the feels back and makes me miss him that much more. So I can certainly relate to the situation and, and the experience that you knew that you had. Tell me a little bit more about your intent 
around addressing mental health through music? Well, you know, there's there's a lot of things that have happened recently with COVID that, that has changed how people are looking at getting mental health, getting resources. One, I was talking to my doctor the other day and he was telling me that getting in to see a psychiatrist is nearly impossible right now. They're, you know, they're just so booked. So what are people, what are people doing? You know, what are people, how are people addressing that? And my expertise happens to be music. So that's what I can speak on. That's what I can, I can advocate. And that's what I can uh, bring to the table as it were. And uh, so, you know, when people are looking for resources, music's one of many, many, many resources that you can access. But I like to think that music can reach a reach deeper down into a person, you know, really get down to some like you talked about with your dad and what it meant to listen to those songs and how difficult what is to to listen to those songs even today. I think music can can have allow that healing because that's very real emotion. That's real stuff. That's stuff that can't be verbalized even in even in a therapist's office, right? You can only get so deep, but music really can reach deeper. And so I think that is a resource that I'm trying to promote as far as into the mental health community. I've been able to do that with some success so far. I mean, I've gotten the Invictus Foundation to to use me to sponsor my music, which is they're they're a pretty big deal. If anybody knows about the Invictus Foundation, they they do some tremendous work with veterans, uh, PTSD, and people that can't afford treatment uh, help, and so they do some wonderful things. And then just as many smaller organizations as well that I've been able to get into, and. They, how they view music as a resource because people are really starting to go, hey, we need more than just being able to go talk to a shrink. And that's fine. If you have a, if you have a doctor or someone you see, that is absolutely very important. I, I am all for that. But the way things are today, you have to be able to have other options at your disposal. And, you know, this is just hopefully one more thing that we, I can add to, to, that, um, to that offering. To the toolkit. So you're absolutely right. A couple, again, another great couple of points. Um, I actually sit on the board of directors for Mentis, which is Napa Valley's um, mental health, a center for mental health. And we do annually as part of our fundraising efforts so that we can continue to provide services. We do uh, musicians for Mentis and we do a concert every year and bring people together. We sell tickets, people give donations and we bring some large name individual in to play music so that we can experience, you know, the healing of, of music as well. And the Center for Mind Body Medicine is also a fundamentally uh, prevalent source of alternate therapies, you know, besides going and seeing your therapist. And ironically, a lot of the trainers, uh, a lot of the people trained in advanced um, techniques of the mind body medicine are licensed, you know, therapists, uh, and they use these therapies because they are so effective. And so one of them is called music and movement, dancing and shaking. It can also be called, but sometimes those are trigger words for people, but movement and music. So you put on music and you just let yourself flow to the music and you allow it to bring up whatever it brings up. You know, there's there are breathing techniques, obviously, there's drawing, there's 
yoga and meditation and imagery, guided imagery. And I know that your music is kind of the backdrop for some of those types of therapies. So, you know, maybe you want to talk a little bit about your meditation series, because I think that that's amazing and so needed right now for everyone who is reaching out. And before before you start talking, because I know you've got a great thing about that, I just want to say that I'm thrilled that the stigma of mental health being something that you are criticized over is finally being released because mental health is part of overall health and it is okay to ask for support just like you would go see a doctor if you fell and hurt your knee. And I am thrilled that we have come to that place yet again. And maybe it's not so much coming full circle as it is we're progressing uh, in in that direction. We, we are and those resources and, and well, like you said, the stigma of not of being able to not not talk about it is starting to go away and be lifted. And, you know, I think, yes, it's good that we're able to have the conversation. I just think there's going to be a lot more need for those resources coming, especially coming out of COVID right now where we are, what we talked about earlier. But yeah, I mean, the meditation music that I've created is called Seven Weeks of Focus and it's, it's still ongoing. I'm on week just released week five today, but that was kind of a project that came out of talking with meditation instructors, wellness coaches, yoga coaches, people that do guided meditation that want to want to have music underneath their voice. And so I started thinking, you know, well, how can I bring something to the table that's that's obviously calming that you can meditate to, but yet has my own flavor to it, has my own style, and it is kind of keeps keeps in line with what I want to do. And I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of specialists, people that deal with anxiety, stress, learning what triggers anxiety, you know, and and being very cognizant of the fact of what I'm writing and what I'm calling it. You know, it's not calling it you know anxiety music or something that's gonna you know, think it's a cure. It's more of it's more of mindfulness music. And that's really how I label it. It's, it's being mindful of yourself and your emotions and what you're going through. And every soundtrack is around 20 minutes. So they're they're meant for you know shorter meditations, but you can definitely string them together and, and you know create a longer meditation series for yourself. But um I mean the response I've gotten from that, that's kind of been like the bread and butter of the by Christopher channel. I mean, it started off with this album that I put out thinking, hey, it's gonna be some calm music. People can sip their beverage of choice in the evening too and kind of relax. And then it's turned into a little bit more more inward focus, a little bit more calming Zen sounds. Um, but it's still all piano and it's got a nice warm pad underneath, so it's kind of got this warm feel to it just really puts you in a calm, warm, fuzzy place when you do your your mindfulness in the morning or whenever you do that. I love it. Well, I can also envision, you know, maybe a bubble bath and a candle lit too for that. I don't provide the candles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I guess you could also turn on one of those battery operated ones nowadays <laughs> because, you know, again, I live in Napa and the, the fires, um, the smoke from fires, everybody's oh, yeah. like, oh, don't start any fires. Don't put even light a candle. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. fearful of that. So, well, I absolutely love it. So how would people find that meditation series? Okay, so all of the music I have and write is on my YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash by Christopher. That's where you can get all my music. And I've been putting up more every single week so far for the next at least two more weeks. And then I'm off to a whole new concept that I'll be sharing with on my social media platforms on Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. So I've got some 
very fun things in the works. And also, I don't know if I should say it, but I think I will. Um, I'm thinking of doing Clubhouse. With, if anyone knows what Clubhouse is, it's the newest social media out there as far as being able to bring music and then have conversations at the same time. So you're able to do that all in real time. And I am looking forward to doing that. So I'll be announcing that hopefully within the next few weeks as well. Oh, we got a little sneak peek and I absolutely love that. It's a great <laughs> concept. So you're going to think I'm uh, may- maybe a little crazy, but you know, I'm a child of the eighties. I went to high school during the eighties and yeah. the music was so phenomenal that there are mornings when I get up and I just put eighties pop music on and I dance around for 30 minutes because it gets my heart rate up and it's feel good. And I have all these great memories of being young and vivacious and you know, going to the high school dances and and subsequently, you know, after I graduate from high school, going out to the clubs and dancing as well. So there's nothing better than being in a clubhouse and all the conversation that ensues around that. Hey, I'm I'm I am not embarrassed to say my daughter and I have been dancing around the kitchen to Material Girl by Madonna. So <laughs> you know what? There it is. It's out there. she's an icon she was ever changing i absolutely loved madonna i absolutely loved her so you know so long as we're on that uh kind of on that track what is some of your favorite music and who have you been inspired by oh there you go there's a there's a there's a singer question i like that so growing up my hero my absolute hero for piano music was jim brickman and if you don't know Jim Brickman, he's the guy that wrote Angel Eyes, Valentine, and Huntington McBride here every year it gets played. And so he has a lot of piano pop hits, and I wanted to be Jim. So, of course, I sent my music. I didn't send my music to his record label. I sent it to Jim Brickman because I just thought I didn't know anything. I thought Jim Brickman would make me famous or, you know, sign me or do something. And I'd see him. He'd come to Washington, and I make make sure I got every concert in. I'd even go see him at his little promo concerts at Fred Meyer, and I'd bring my album with me, and I'd stand out there and be like, "Jim, take my album, just listen to it," you know. So anyway, Jim Brickman was huge for me. I I love some of the Broadway composers from Stephen Sondheim to Andrew Lloyd Webber are just amazing. I love that. I've been inspired a lot by those people. Um, Andrew Lake Weber, he was married to a gal named Sarah Brightman, and I had the privilege of seeing Sarah Brightman perform two years ago, which was really fun. I love her voice. I love her style. and I love the song she does. So a lot of kind of pseudo-classical music, if that makes sense. And obviously, uh, like I said, my grandfather was hugely influential in getting me around classical music. So I mean, there's a whole nother library of influences from Debussy to Chopin and of course Beethoven. So yeah, I mean, obviously a wealth of wealth of composers out there, but those are some of my favorites and some of who I listen to even today. Well, it's kind of cool for me because I know who you're talking about. <laughs> good. Good. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't to, know. Yeah, sometimes you don't. So it's it's interesting because I um I'm a a pretty audacious, gregarious kind of person. I was, you know, cheerleader and on the drill team and, you know, pom-pom in high school. And I mean, I am most definitely an extrovert, except the true definition of extrovert is that you get your energy from being around people, whereas I get my energy from being by myself and refilling my bucket by listening to music or reading or being in nature. Mm. And so... Then when you do the Myers-Briggs, you know, you kind of figure out you're on the cusp. 
And so I thought, well, maybe I'm truly an introvert with extrovert qualities, but I guess there's a new term and it's called the ambivert, which means you can do whatever you need to do based off the situation. But I know that eventually I need downtime. I need quiet. And so when I was younger, significantly younger, the Wyndham Hill records were those things that I listened to. And so that's where I became exposed to a lot of that. But it also has kind of led me to this love of jazz music because jazz music typically has that little bit of step up in beat, but is still very soothing and calming to the soul. So I'm yeah. a huge, huge Chris Bodie fan, Boney James, David Sanborn. That's, that's well, as soon as you said Wyndham Hill, my go to when I'm looking for death. As soon as you said Wyndham Hill, I knew exactly what you what you like because that's was Jim Brickman's first label. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that's why I brought it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I sent I sent many many uh, uh, CDs and demos to them. So yes, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. As soon as you said that, I was like, "That's Wyndham Hill." I'm I, almost positive, you know. Although my brain's kind of faulty, the older I get, the more I, you know, forget. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> uh, what does your daughter like to listen to? Uh, she likes to listen to what dad's listening to. So, I mean, she, we come into the studio almost every day here and I let sit her down, let her bang out her, her stuff. But she, she's she copies me. So she plays with two hands like I do. And she tries to play, emulate similar patterns. So if I, you know, that, that, that on the piano, she tries to do that, that, that. So that's really fun to see that happening. But boy, she, she likes, she likes Bruno Mars, you know, Uptown Funk that sort of yes. stuff, you know, stuff that's got beats and then we can, cause she wants me to dance with her in the kitchen. So I'm, I, you know, I got to dance and I got to have something to dance to. So Michael Jackson, we're talking about going back to the eighties, you know, <laughs> doing, doing some Michael Jackson or doing, doing uh, Bruno Mars, Elton John. I love Elton John. So yeah, all that. Well, yeah. I, Elton John, I, I think it's going to be a difficult thing to find someone who's really, you know, doesn't like Elton John at least a little. I mean, he's just such oh, an amazing creative soul. Yeah. <laughs> I saw him and I got to see him in Vegas three years ago. And boy, that was one of the highlight concerts of my life. Just seeing him. He's got so much energy. And this guy knows how to get a crowd on its feet. He really does. Even today, I, I oh, it's probably been 10 years since I've seen him. It was at a fundraising concert in Mountain View in he was with Neil Young and um, George Michael came on stage and sang mm. Don't Let the Sun Go Down on yep. Me, the duet that they do together. I mean, it was such an amazing night, you know, for, ah. for being a fundraiser, but it was, oh my That's gosh, fun. incredible. So amazing. So let's talk a little bit about the neuroscience of music. Are you ready for mm. this? Okay. All right. So the right side of the brain is the creative side, right? Mm -hmm. And the left side of the brain is the logical side. And the activity that causes both sides to be activated simultaneously is music. Yes. Uh, yeah. So the fact that so many people get their children involved in some form of music, dancing, singing, you know, where music is a part, but playing an instrument in specifically really opens up the brain and allows that influx of knowledge, that flexibility, and allows the bridge to occur between the two sides so that they end up being actually significantly more adept and are able to more easily acclimate as they grow. Yeah, that's true. And, and also listening to music. I mean, if you're listening, especially as something that's calming and soothing and relaxing to you, 
it slows your own thoughts down. So you're not thinking as much up in your head and you're just allowing more emotion to come and allow that to pour through. And that's why music can really get reached deep, deep down in some, in a person and, and do some tremendous healing work. So that's absolutely right. So your sympathetic nerve system is activated and you have serotonin release, which causes the development of dopamine, which causes relaxation and a true sense of euphoria, happiness. It's not, uh, I'm sorry, the dopamine, it's not the dopamine, the serotonin production, which causes that that sense of well-being. When we do things like click likes on a page, that's little dopamine hits. That's actually an addictive kind of response. And those little dopamine hits give you the sense of I'm happy in this moment, but you have to keep doing it in order to be happy. Whereas when you truly put yourself in that state, listening to music, going for a walk and you get the serotonin production, you know, your endorphins flow, serotonin production elevates, then you actually do get into that state where your heart rate starts to calm, your muscles relax, you know, your breathing slows. It's an actual physiologic response and music is most definitely at the center of that. Yes, I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, bumps in the road. I, I mean, it's not all been smooth sailing for you as you've embarked on this journey. So what kind of bumps in the road have you experienced? Well, since since the, the launch of the brand or are we going back? want to go back further than that you you know it's what's prevalent for you so i'll i'll start with my first album in 2001 when i was when i was getting a little bit of media attention and kind of just you know 17 years old you don't know what to do with that i mean you think you think you've made it right and and uh you know what you soon discover you know who you are as as a young adult and what that what that's going to do for you and you know, I was I learned really early on that I was not a fan of acknowledgement and accolade and praise and being in a spotlight. Even though, you know, I enjoyed playing music and and um, you know giving that to people and you know, obviously it feels good to be praised. But I didn't want to I didn't want to pursue that side of music. I would rather have been in a studio or even teaching. And teaching was a big big passion of mine. So I embarked a little bit more down the teaching side and one point I think I had I think I had 23 students at one point and anyone that's been a teacher of any kind knows that you know 23 students trying to manage that it's a lot of that's a lot of work so I scaled that back over time but I really did get more into I still wrote music up until when my mom had passed but you know there was this lessening of of the public view and and being in in the public setting and more, more or less just doing my own thing on my side. I, one thing I did really enjoy and still do today, but unfortunately right now it's hard to do, is going into senior ho- homes, nursing homes, uh, retirement communities, uh, even mental health facilities I've done a few times too, and playing in those, in those facilities. Because there it's not about the fame, it's not about the recognition, it's about bringing joy to those those people that just want to feel like their younger selves again. And that is, that is fun to do. And, you know, I miss that and I can't, hopefully someday soon we'll be able to, I'll be able to do that again. But until then, you know, it's really about, you know, bringing it virtually or online or, you know, through a social media platform. But Uh, yeah. Is that your why? Tell me your why. 
What's your purpose in life? Well, my why right now is being being a, a a good father and a good example for my daughter. That's my why, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing is for her. I want I want her to have an example of what a man should be in her life, so she knows when she grows up and gets older that um, she won't settle for anything less than the best. And that's what I want to be, and that's my reason for you know writing music. You know, um, obviously I have a big passion for mental health, but my daughter comes first in my life for everything. So, well, you know, family and connection is a huge part of a good mental health. You know, your family is who you choose it to be. There are blood relations, but who you surround yourself with, who you call your family, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, whomever is really who you choose that to be. And I share that because I'm adopted, but I didn't know that I was adopted until I was in my 30s. And I had always kind of wondered why I was different than my mom and my dad and my brother. I was obviously different, not only in physical characteristics, but just in my outward nature, how easily I acclimated to things, um, voracious reader, love to learn, just you know, super high on life all the time. And not that my folks weren't, but we were just incredibly different. And I kind of always felt like a little bit on the outside, but uh, didn't couldn't really figure out why. And my dad had a best friend and uh, he was my brother's godfather. They, we were in, I was a military brat. My dad was in the Air Force. So we're military family and his best friend, he knew from the military he was my brother's godfather and we called him Uncle Willie, but he, you know, he was no true blood relation to us. But, you know, to this day, he's passed since passed now, but we still refer to him as, you know, Uncle Willie and his son and I are super, super close. And he's basically my my cousin Kelly. Right. You know, I don't I don't look at him as anything but a blood relation and a dear one at that, like a super, super close friend of mine. So when I found out that I was adopted you know, I recognize the fact that my parents, oh my God, my amazing parents, I miss them both every single day. See my mom and hummingbirds every time they come around my, my flowers, you know, they chose my brother and I, they walked into the orphanage and held out their arms for my brother and they held out their arms for me and they chose us to be a part of their family. And you know, after we discovered we were adopted, we chose them and just said, wow, we couldn't have been more blessed than to have you as our parents. Um, That being said, I know my birth parents as well. And um, I know my siblings from my birth parents. And so it's pretty amazing that I do have these blood relations who I consider dear friends. And I have, you know, my family are not blood relation, but like my brother and I are thick as thieves. Thieves, and we always will be. We have such a tight bond because we had the, the joy and the beauty of being raised together. So connection, especially right now during the pandemic when we're also isolated and you speak of the elderly, elder isolation right now is a huge, huge, huge problem yeah. because they were alone. To, you know, a lot of them were alone to start with. And now even being able to get out and do something social, go to a clubhouse or the senior center or whatever they're unable to do. And so their only contact may be meals on wheels or their family calling them, but it's dangerous for family to go and visit, you know, so that isolation it perpetuates depression it perpetuates anxiety 
and um, it perpetuates suicidal and self-harm thoughts. So it's imperative that we reach out and and touch somebody in a even in a virtual format. Uh, I have a dear friend who is a nursing director. He's on the front lines. He's an emergency department and uh, critical care unit. And he has a concept called a battle buddy. He was also in the military. And he says, you know, that's what we need to do right now is choose someone um, that you check on uh, periodically and who checks on you periodically. Just say, I'm here. I'm a lifeline. I'm somebody you can talk to. And and even myself, I work from my my home primarily right now, as, as you do as well, you know, because mm-hmm. we're in the midst of this pandemic. And even though I say I'm, I'm a social person, but I like to be alone to to regenerate. I've had enough of being alone. I want to be around people again. You yeah, know, yeah, there's just yeah. an energy that you get from them. Well, you you mentioned earlier and 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 talking about you know people that articulate their feelings or emotions, but you have to also. I'm also very aware of the fact that not everyone can say I'm not doing well. They say right. it other ways, right? They do it through shutting down or there's signals that, you know, you can pick up on, but you have to be able to be in a place where you can give people grace today and give them that. Just know that not everyone's going to be a hundred percent. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the most positive minded person in the world. If you've been sitting at home for two weeks and haven't been around or longer, whatever the situation is, you're going to be dealing with some stress. Okay. And I, you know, there's nobody can say that, that, Oh, I'm, I'm fine. Well, Okay. <laughs> you know, but you know, just know that there's there's stresses in people's lives and having that that compassion for that and and a little bit more understanding I think goes a long ways these days. Oh, I agree with you. Kindness, compassion, patience. We all deserve it. We need to give it to ourselves and we need to give it to those who are around us and we need to be on the lookout for people who need it. So I'm actually on a help guide dot org and it's uh, article suicide prevention so self-harm and suicide so here are some of the warning signs for people who are potentially at risk for suicide or self-harm so it's people who talk about suicide if i see you again i'd be better off dead things like that those types of phrases seeking out lethal means like are they looking for guns are they asking about pills are they all of a sudden buying all these great knives you know, other objects that could be used to harm a preoccupation with death or no hope for the future. There's just no way out of this. You know, saying those kinds of things, self-loathing, getting their affairs in order, saying goodbye to people in a very poignant way, withdrawing self-destructive behavior or a sudden sense of calm and happiness after being extremely depressed can mean that person has made a decision to attempt suicide. And so if you're experiencing some of these things, don't be afraid to reach out to a suicide hotline. There are many suicide hotlines um, out there. And also, and you can also use 911. And also, if you're a friend and you're noticing another friend doing some of these things, engage them in dialogue and ask them if they'd like you to, you know, come over and or if they need some help. And can you facilitate that help for them? Yeah, good points. So tell me, is there a message that you would like the listeners, the audience to take away some beautiful message of hope or anything you'd like to share? So there is, uh, now that you mentioned it, I was thinking about that because when you were talking, I was, 
I thought that uh, the meditation that I released today, and I released them on Tuesdays in the mornings, and the one I re- did today was called Compassion for Yourself. And how appropriate, right? You know, for especially what we're talking about right now, having compassion for yourself, because I think that starts first before you can move on to other people. And the message I think that I'm getting, I would like to get out to people is that do something for yourself today. It doesn't matter what it is. It can, it, we talk a lot about music today. It can be music, but it can also be a myriad of other things. It can be, it can be taking a walk with your dog can be spending time with your family as we've talked about and how important that is you know it can be simple as watching something on tv that makes you laugh you know something that's gonna be for you though you know don't compromise and and be well i'll do something for me with someone else so you know do it for you be selfish take that moment even if it's five minutes even if it's five minutes to go jam out to your favorite rock and roll song and act act like a kid do it, you know, because it's doing something for you. And if we can get in the habit of doing something like that daily for us, you're going to notice, you're not going to notice something on the first day. You might not have, but over time, the more compassion you're giving yourself and the more permission you're giving yourself to be you, you're going to have small victories throughout your, your day, your, your weeks, your months, and your years going forward. Agreed. And you may inspire someone else to do the same thing. Uh, Wow. Imagine that. That would be awesome. (laughs) Wouldn't it? Leading by example. Yay. (laughs) We'll take it. Oh my goodness. Well, Christopher, this has been absolutely amazing. Tell our listeners again how they can access your beautiful music and meditations. Well, you can access my music and the meditations by going to youtube.com slash by Christopher all on YouTube. I'm not on any other platforms yet, but stay tuned and we will see how that develops in the future. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. It has been such a pleasure having you on the show today. I want to thank you for your time and for sharing your gifts with the world. Well, thanks, Kim. I appreciate you having me on. This has been really fun talking. During today's show, several crucial points were made in relation to the healing power of music. Like a medical practitioner laying their hands on a body to heal it, music is the practitioner through which Christopher's creativity is delivered. The melodic tones creating energy and vibration that people in our world tune into. It's creating a collective conscious on this plane we live in, here and now. Music provides a cocoon in which we can wrap ourselves. It provides us protection, energy, and connection. Music allows us to step into this safe space, opening the door to release the pressures and stress of our days and the world around us. Music is a way for us to practice self-care and achieve mental wellness. We all need fuel personally and professionally. What fuels this podcast, the book, and the greatest gift leadership development courses is your interest. If you like what you hear, please connect with me on social media and subscribe to my podcast and YouTube channel. LinkedIn, Kim-Brown-Sims. Facebook, Kim.BrownSims. Instagram, at KimBrownSims underscore. Twitter, at ConsultingKBS. YouTube, Pricked Channel. Podcast outlets, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Google Podcasts, to name a few. 
Look for my book coming soon and available for pre-order on my website, kimbrownsims.com. I am also available for speaking engagements, where in my print presentation, I speak to a wide variety of general and corporate audiences with humor and passion about the pricks that have held me back, the pricks that I have given as a nurse, and how the pricks in our lives can inspire great, powerful, and urgent action. And remember, take a moment to thank the pricks in your life for giving you the shot in the ass that inspired you to greatness. Have a great day, and remember, don't be a prick.